welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters Podcast. I'm David Schuster. He's Mark Schanowski. And Mark, I'm a little bit dizzy coming off last night's game. It was like a pinball machine on tilt, especially in the second half. The Bulls did something last night in the game, a win against New Orleans. That has never happened before in the NBA. And I'll let you tell the folks exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah, kind of one of those obscure records, but it counts nonetheless. The Bulls' backcourt, Zach Levine and Colby White, became the first teammates ever to hit at least three, eight three-pointers apiece in a single game. Uh, like I said, it's a bit of an obscure record, but uh, it's kind of cool that they did that. And Some people have made the comparison that the ceiling for the Levine-White backcourt could be a comparison with Lillard and McCollum in Portland. And at least for one night, that's what they look like. I'm not saying they, they're going to hit threes like that all the time or even uh, on a consistent basis, but uh, it was fun to watch. You know, they shot 25 for 47 from the three-point line. So when you're hit, shooting at that kind of percentage, you're going to win a lot of basketball games. And the alarming thing was, as good as they played throughout the night, they were down by eight at halftime. So it just goes to show you, you also have to focus on the other end of the court they played better defensively in the second half. I think New Orleans kind of ran out of gas playing in a back-to-back situation. Hey, the Bulls will gladly take the victory. They're not going to they're not going to make any excuses about it. They'll they'll take it. Bulls are 10 and 14 with everything they've been through. That's really not too bad as we hit the one-third point this season. Yeah, we'll talk about the standings which are pretty interesting in itself. We'll talk about that in just a moment, but recapping the week since last we spoke to uh on this podcast They split the games with Orlando. They lost the first one. They came back and won the second one. And, uh, you know, again, I know what your feelings are and not playing these back-to-backs, but I sort of like the fact that when they do have these back-to-backs, Mark, I think coaching really comes into play. The first game, you know, they were killed on the inside, um, you know, by Orlando's, uh, you know, center. And then in the second game, they shut him out pretty much. So, and then when they went back and forth with the Knicks in the two games here the previous week, I, I don't know. I just sort of like that aspect of it. I don't know if it's good in the long run, but for at least this season, there's a little bit extra intrigue that goes into these back-to-back games. So they split those games with Orlando. They lost the game to Washington. They won the game against New Orleans last night. They have a lot of injuries. The Bulls, again, they're they're a teeter-totter, up and down, up and down, Of course, the injuries, I think, in the long run is going to keep them down, and we'll talk about that too. Yeah, I think right now they've got to get some reinforcements on that front line. You know, the game against Washington was really disappointing because it's a back-to-back situation for the Wizards. Bradley Beal, the previous day, had just aired out his teammates saying we're going to get more dog in us after they got blown out and really kind of went down meekly against the Charlotte Hornets. And I think that was a situation where with the Wizards coming in, it looked like that was a – it's a guaranteed victory for the Bulls. They didn't play a lick of defense. They got beat on straight line drives to the basket. And with Carter and Markin out and Gafford seemingly always in foul trouble, they have no one who can protect the basket. And that's going to be an issue going on. You know, right now they've got the Clippers coming up on Friday. Then they go on the road. It's going to be hard for them to win games consistently with no rim protection. If they're allowing, you know, 115, 120 points every night, you're going to have to shoot a crazy percentage from the three-point line. Yeah, they did it against the Pelicans, but you can't expect to do that every night. You know, our, our good buddy Joe Colley, he keeps going. <laughs> it's a running feud between him and his uh, Twitter followers. You know, he, yeah. he's intent on on having Zach Levine traded. Um, and, and his latest one, and I just looked on his Twitter uh, a couple of minutes ago, he's going back and forth that he thinks Zach should be traded, that he's not worth $25 million a year, yada, yada, yada. 
But he says, you know, the Bulls will not know what kind of market there is until maybe somebody like Bradley Beal, you know, a like kind of player, is traded himself. Do, do you follow his logic? Well, one thing about Joe is he is doggedly uh, stubborn about sticking to his points. I mean, there's no way you can convince him he's wrong about any argument, whether it's back to his days when he was covering the White Sox with the Sun-Times or now with the Bulls. I mean, when he decides that a certain person, whether it be an executive, a manager, or a player, needs to go, he's like a dog with a bone. He's not going to let that go until it, you know, it gets resolved one way or the other. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about Zach. I think Zach is a, a, an incredible scorer. Reality of it is, if you're going to trade Zach Levine, what are you going to get in return? You know, Washington's not going to give you Bradley Beal straight up for Zach Levine. So you're really going to throw in a first-round draft pick and Zach to have a, a mo- you know, a modest upgrade at the shooting guard position? I wouldn't do that. You look around the league, you know, you're talking about the Bulls have a need at point guard. What elite point guard are you going to get for Zach Levine? I mean, I, I, I don't know. You'd have, to, you'd have to go through the league and see who might be available. Um, you know, we, we talked about uh, Lonzo Ball being available, but you're not going to trade Zach Levine for Lonzo Ball. I mean, it's, it's, you have to consider the quality of player that you have in Zach, the fact that he's on a very team-friendly contract right now. Yes, he's going to want a big contract in a year and a half, but all you can deal with is what's in front of you at this point. And right now they have a top 10 scorer in the league in Zach Levine. I think that unless you're overwhelmed by a trade offer, you hang on to the guy. You know what? Um, we talked about who are there, may, maybe the untouchables on this roster going forward, Mark, and what to build around. And we're both in agreement. Patrick Williams is obviously one of them. We'll talk about him in just a moment also. I'm of the mindset, and I'm a big Zach Levine fan, and I know you are too. I'm of the mindset that, you know, Karnishevis and, and the rest of the organization should figure out a way of building around Zach Levine. He's still in the prime and he will be in the prime of his career for at least the next three or four years. Yeah, it's going to cost you $100 million over four years if you're going to resign him to some kind of extension. But listen, you're, if you're looking to give that money to somebody, he's, he's fourth in the league in scoring. He's scoring 27 and a half points a game. His overall game has improved. I think along with Patrick Williams, these are the two guys that you figure out how to build around going forward. Yeah, I think sometimes fans especially get caught into this uh, making conclusions because they see every second of every game and they see all the warts and and they discount some of the great things that a player can accomplish. And I watch a lot of national shows on ESPN and NBA TV, and they'll have former players on who are in the analyst role They rave about Zach Levine. They talk about the fact that if he was playing on a winning team, he would be getting bouquets as one of the the elite players in the NBA. But because of the fact the Bulls have been so bad in recent years, he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. And I think the national perspective sometimes can be a little bit skewed. You know, we've used the term out of town stupid at times, and, and that does happen on occasion. But I think when it comes to Zach Levine, he gets more appreciation nationally than he does locally because of the Bulls record. And to heap all the blame on Zach Levine's plate because the Bulls have had losing records since he's been here, I think is very unfair. And, you know, if you could find the right personnel that where Zach could be that 1A or number two player, I think that there's no reason why he couldn't thrive in Chicago and be a guy that fans would really grow to love and appreciate more than they do right now. All right, let's center on Levine, because last night he was incredible. He had nine three-pointers. Kobe White hit eight, and as you alluded earlier, the first backcourt, first two teammates ever, and I'm surprised that Klay Thompson and Steph Curry didn't do it in the past. 
first teammates ever to both hit eight three-pointers in a game. Levine was 46 points last night. Um, and anyway, you know, he's he's had games where he can score at will, and now he has to with, with some of the injuries to the front line. There have been other games where he only scored the 10 points in that one game, but he had 10 assists. Here's Zach Levine talking about he will do anything to make sure that they get a win. I'll try to read the game the best I can. Um, you know, every game isn't going to be perfect, but if I come with this mindset, I think it's going to be good for us. And then even if, you know, just recognizing if guys are hot or, you know, if I just need to draw a double team and kick it out, you know, I'll do whatever I got to do. So, you know, Mark, there's a maturity about Zach Levine that maybe we didn't see in previous seasons. Well, and I think that he realizes that he has to do so much for this team that it's very important that he tries to get other players involved in the offense. What we've seen, especially late in close games, they've go, they're going with three guard lineups and Zach Levine has the ball in his hands. Kobe White now is playing off the ball. He scored 30 points against the Pelicans. He put up 17 three-point shots, which is a lot of heaving, you know, from the outside. And that's because they're using him more as a shooting guard. And when the game is on the line, Zach has the ball in his hands or Thomas Adaransky. It's not Kobe White. So we're seeing already, even though Kobe White's in his second year and is only 20 years old, they're making conscious moves to get him off the ball. And Billy Donovan is putting the ball in Zach's hands and say, you need to read the floor, see what the defense is doing, and make the right decision. It's been a learning process for Kobe White. It's also a learning process for Zach Levine. But I think he's improved as a facilitator. He desperately wants to be part of a winning team. I, I don't think that, that you can criticize Zach, as I mentioned earlier, for the fact that the Bulls have been a losing team the last several years. But he's going to do whatever he can to try to get them over the top. And I give him a lot of credit for the changes he's made in his game. All right, we'll talk about Kobe White. You mentioned him, and we'll talk about him in just a second also. But let's let's hear from the Zach Levine fan club. And one of his biggest fans has been a player who's gotten a lot more playing time of recent uh, time here, Denzel Valentine. And we'll talk more about him in just a second. But here's Valentine talking about Zach Levine. Man, he's uh, truly special. Um, you know, the thing, the capabilities that, you know, he has and the things he can do each and every night – um, it just wows me every night. I see, you know, he does something new every night that I just sit there and like, damn, like, you know, he's really, really good. Like, you know what I'm saying? He can score at all three levels. Um, he can turn it on, turn it off. Um, defensively, when he wants to, he can guard pretty much anybody in the league. It's just so much that he can do out there. He's definitely an all-star, superstar type player. So, you know, I'm, I'm you know, blessed to be his teammate. And, and he's also, he's a good guy, too. So you, so you root for him and you want him to do good as well. Listen, the best praise I think you can get, Mark, is always from your own teammates. And, and, and it doesn't have to be basketball. You in broadcasting, myself, you know, also in broadcasting. When you get compliments from your teammates, so to speak, that's worth its weight in gold. Yeah, you, you care mostly about what your peers think. And obviously, they know how difficult it is to play in this league. They see the amazing things that Zach can do. And one of the comments you hear, as I mentioned, I referenced the national shows earlier. Everyone talks about the ease with which Zach Levine could score. I mean, he can lift up from 28, 30 feet from the basket and shoot the jumper like it's a free throw. Uh, his physical talent is off the charts. He didn't have to go to the basket very much last night, but we've seen him you know, go strong and dunk over the top of big men. He's got the complete package of being able to score on all three levels. And you know, I think his teammates probably look at some of the same things we just discussed is that why is this guy getting so much criticism locally? Because, you know, he's, he's an elite scorer. He's doing everything possible to try to get victories for our team. And unfortunately, once again, the Bulls are playing shorthanded. And each and every win 
is going to be, you know, extremely difficult for them to get. And maybe even better than getting um, some kudos from your teammates is getting them from your head coach, uh, because you're always trying to please a head coach, much like you're always trying to please your parents when you were growing up. Anyway, here's Billy Donovan, who says he really does appreciate Zach Levine, both on and off the court. He is a great guy and he's a great teammate and he wants to win. And he hasn't. He has not won. And he wants to, and he wants to take that step. And, you know, sometimes when you're looking to take that step, you think, okay, you know what, maybe I got to get my teammates more involved. So let me try to facilitate. Okay, well, the it's not going well. Now I need to go to score. It, it's not really that. It's it's more he's got to play to an identity, you know, uh, of, of what our team needs from him. And then he's got to be a two-way player. Like winning sets the rules. I don't. The game sets the rules. And... It is hard. It is hard to win. And you know what? He's got to play both ends. And he's got to do that both ends if he wants to win. And that's, you know, it takes what it takes. And it's hard. And he wants to do it and he's willing to do it. But I do agree with you. He's trying to figure those things out. And he also wants to be a good teammate. He wants to be an unselfish player. And he wants to make the people around him better. And I think he's trying to figure some of those things out. And I don't want to tell him, hey, Zach, we need you to get 40 tonight. Just go get 40 because I don't think that really helps him or helps our team. And I like the way Donovan is coaching, Levine. You've, you've talked about it already a, a bunch of times already in this podcast. He is getting the most out of Zach Levine. And you can see the the touch that, that Billy Donovan, a much more experienced coach, uh, obviously, than last year's coach, Jim Boylan. He is getting the most out of Zach Levine. Yeah, and he's made a, a special effort, Billy Donovan has, to go over tape with both of his young guards and try to show them areas where they can improve. And he's really stressed with Zach that you have to make sure that you keep your teammates involved. Yes, there are going to be occasions, especially in fourth quarters of close games, where you're going to have to take over the offense, make some difficult shots to try to bring the Bulls home to a victory. But for the first three quarters, you know, pass up some of those long jumpers on occasion, get touches for your big men when they're healthy and, and available inside, and get, get everyone feeling like they're a part of this rather than they're just standing by watching the Zach Levine show. I think Zach has taken those criticisms to heart. He's definitely improved on the defensive end. We're seeing more and more instances where he gets uh, steals. There was a play in the Pelicans game where he hustled back down court and knocked the ball away from a player, turned into a basket the other way. He's made growth in those areas. And uh, unfortunately for Zach, until the Bulls get to the point where they can be a contender for a playoff spot and at least finish with a 500 record, he'll hear the same criticisms that, that he's not a player that leads to winning results. We'll see if he makes the all-star team this year, if indeed there is even an all-star game. And we'll touch on that in just a little bit also. But we heard from Denzel Valentine before talking about Zach Levine. I want to talk about Denzel himself. I believe it's five straight games where he's now scored in double figures. Um, he's playing specifically because of some of the injuries. Lowry Markin, and he's taking up a lot of those minutes. But with both Denzel Valentine and Thad Young, Mark, both playing so much better than they did last year. Valentine's even on the court where he was basically in the doghouse last year. How much is this uh, uh, of those two guys playing so much better, not only an indictment of Jim Boylan, but a compliment to Billy Donovan that he's getting the most out of those two specific players? Yeah, there were a lot of occasions over the previous uh, four years where we were wondering if Zach or Denzel Valentine was even an NBA player. Um, you know, I, I watched at times where he struggled. He had a lot of long-term injuries during his first couple of seasons under Fred Hoiberg. And then, obviously, Jim Boylan didn't want to use Denzel at all. You know, when you watch him play, Stacy and Adam Amin always make fun of his old man game. And he does remind you of the guy playing pickup at, uh, you know, 
the health club over at the noon hour that has this ugly game, but is still effective and is able to score. Um, but you know, the guy is effective. He can make those, those running floaters from 15 feet. He has good court vision. He's a good passer, even though he's not quick. Um, you know, he'll, he'll make some plays defensively. He's not a bad rebounder for a guy who's six, five. Um, you know, he's a, he's an NBA rotation guy and to Billy Donovan's credit. He realized one of the things they were lacking on this team was guys who were good passers and who could shoot the three. And Denzel can do both those things. All right, let's let's talk about the injuries because obviously that's a pretty big thing going on with the Bulls right now, and it's going to hinder them not only in the short run but maybe in the long run as well. The injuries: uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is out the better part of another month. Lowry Markinen is going to be out anywhere from two to four weeks with his shoulder injury. Let's first of all hear from Markinen. Here's where he talks about his injury and the uh, effect it has on him. I try to look look the positive. It could have been shoulder is always it could have been worse. Uh, Obviously, when it happened, I was frustrated and disappointed. Just didn't done everything on my part to not have this happen. But I mean, that's the that's the part of the game, unfortunately. But so I'm just trying to stay positive. Uh, I feel I feel better. Uh, I, I would say not every day is obviously there's bumps and road, but I do feel better now than compared to when it happened, so that's good. And it's very unfortunate, Mark. I mean, you know, the injuries just, uh, they're annual for Mark and in. They're annual for Carter. This is a big problem that, you know, even the past regime had to deal with, but now we're going to see Karnishevis, the new guy, the leader of the pack, how he's going to deal with this, not only short run, but even more so long run with both these guys. Yeah, and, and I hate to be critical about guys getting hurt because, you know, we both have played a game our whole lives, and we know that you get injured playing basketball. But even at the play most recently where Lowry hurt his shoulder in Orlando, he basically made a spin move, made contact with the defender as he spun off him, and then all of a sudden he went to the free throw line grabbing his shoulder in a lot of pain. And, you know, even during the broadcast, Stacy and Adam Amin were talking about the fact, well, was it that play or was it a play earlier? Because it didn't look like it was anything that, you know, dramatic that he would have suffered that type of injury where he was in such horrible pain. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the old cliche, that the number one ability is availability. And Lowry and Wendell Carter Jr. just have not been available throughout their careers. And when you're a guy in the position of Arturis Karnishevis trying to to evaluate who stays and who goes, who we can build this team around. There's no way you can count on Lowry and Wendell when they're always hurt. You know, you hate to have the reputation of uh, words like brittle or yeah. injury prone. Um, I don't know if I could use the word brittle because, you know, again, it is a physical game, but I mean, it's a fact. Both these guys, Carter and Markinen, have missed major portions of every season that they've been in this league so far. So the question to, to uh, Billy Donovan you know, is is it a bad thing to have this quote unquote injury prone status thrown at these two players? Certainly with with Wendell and Larry, I totally get and understand the line of questioning because they have been prone to be out for periods of time. And there is a there is a, a point of durability, you know, for an NBA player. And I, I respect, you know, the guys that have been able to kind of go through that for a long, long period of time. They've been extremely durable. And there's other guys that, you know, have had these kind of injuries and um they're, they're both young players. You know, this is not a situation where they've been in the league for 10, 12 years, and this has been just a constant theme. Uh, but I also get, you know, if this if this track continues for these guys, I, I, I understand certainly the question. But at the same point, too, it's really, really hard to eliminate 
when a guy has a contact injury as Wendell and and uh, and, and Lowry have had, and I feel bad for him. And uh, I hope certainly that's not the case for their careers that they, you know, are each and every year, you know, um, uh, hit with those kind of things. If uh, as disappointed as I am for Lowry, as disappointed as I am for for Wendell, I can tell you it, it kills those guys. They can't be out there playing. And, and unfortunately, Mark, I mean, other than Thad Young, they really don't have that much backup for some of these guys. And I don't think Thad Young is that long for being with this organization. He won't be on this team next year. He might not be on this team past the trading deadline. Um, so, I mean, what do you do? I mean, listen, they pulled out Luke Cornett last night. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I kept saying to myself, who is that guy? Yeah, and he used Felicio the previous two games. And Felicio had a couple of decent moments. And then he had two bad turnovers in the game Monday night. And I think that Billy pretty much decided he'd seen enough. The $8 million man can go back to the bench, collect the rest of his paychecks, and uh, he'll be going back to Brazil after this year where he can uh, spend that money <laughs> – I'm sure be a very wealthy man in South America, but you know, right now they're, they're in a bad situation. And, and on our last podcast, we ran the comments from Wendell Carter Jr. Where he almost was defiant and saying, I don't want to be called injury prone. Well, what else can we call you? You've had three years in the league. You've missed almost half the season every year. You are injury prone. And you know, He's undersized at center. He says he wants to play the four, but he doesn't shoot it well enough to play the four. He's a tweener. You know, he's to me, he's just a backup kind of guy. That was a bad pick. You know, during before the draft, I was advocating taking Mikal Bridges from Villanova, who's really emerged in his third season as a very, very good NBA player. He's been one of the underrated keys to the Phoenix playing really well. They beat the Bucks last night. Uh, they're playing some really good basketball. I think Mikhail Bridges would have been a, a good long-term fit at the three spot. They also could have taken Colin Sexton, who was taken with the pick right after Wendell, and he's averaging like 22 points a game for an improved Cleveland team. Then you wouldn't have had to draft Colby White, and you could have shored up another area. So, it's, you know, we can always look back with 2020 hindsight, but unfortunately for our tourists and Mark Eversley, he's got two depreciating assets in Carter and Markinen. If he tries to trade them at this trade deadline, He's going to be trading him for 50 cents on the dollar. If he waits until the offseason, well, then Lowry's a restricted free agent, so you can't trade him. You have to make a decision on either, you know, pay him what he wants or match an offer sheet or let him walk. And I'm sure they're unlikely to extend Carter's rookie deal, so they'll have the same decision with him the summer after that. It's just that revolving thing with teams that struggle. When you make the wrong picks, it always comes back to bite you. All right. Well, let's hear one more from Billy Donovan, because the trading deadline, uh, I think you mentioned this last week, is March 25th. Is that correct, Mark? Yeah. Okay. so March 25th, that's another five weeks, maybe six weeks from now. So some decisions will have to be made, but you have to do that in conjunction with some of the injuries that you currently have. I think both those guys specifically, Markinen and Carter, will be back before the trading deadline. So at least you'll get them back on the court. Anyway, the question, again, from our good buddy Joe Colley, he's always looking ahead. And the question to Billy Donovan, what about the trading deadline? Are you already starting to look at that? You know, again, I have not had conversation. Maybe we're a little bit more than a month away from the from the deadline there. Um, obviously, we've got some guys that are out uh, that hopefully we'll get back before that point. But, you know, I would tell you that as a coach and as, a, as players, our, our focus has always been just trying to get better each and every day. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a time and a place for our tourists and I to sit down and, 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 and talk about that. But we really have talked more about the team, 
how we're playing, where we can get better, how we can improve, how guys can improve collectively as a group, how they can improve individually. So, Mark, some some decisions will have to be made, but, you know, and and Donovan's got enough on his plate right now to even answer that question. But I'm sure uh, Karnishevis is already looking ahead. He's got to be thinking about that trading deadline. I'm sure they've had numerous internal discussions about which guys they want to have as part of this core going future, going forward. And, you know, the first one, as we talked about earlier, is Zach Levine. Are you going to sign him to a long-term deal? And because of the fact that so many of the big names that were originally going to be part of this 2021 free agent class have signed extensions with their current teams, the market is so watered down right now. One of the ideas that's been floated on social media is using cap space to extend Zach Levine this summer. Don't get let him get the free agency. Use that cap space to work out an extension where you've got him at a, at a more team-friendly rate for the next four seasons rather than having to see what some other team might be willing to pay him in the summer of 22. I, I think that might be a really good idea. If you don't think there's someone you can get using your cap space coming up this summer – you know, there are really aren't that many elite free agents that are going to be available. Why not lock Zach up long term and then make some decisions around him? Um, you know, I, I would say you mentioned Thad Young. If you could get a first round pick for Thad Young as we come closer to the deadline, I would definitely do it. He's playing the best basketball of his career right now, but he's very much long in the tooth. This is like his 14th season at age 32. If you can move him to a contender, a team that's hungry, like like a Boston or a Philadelphia or some team like that, I would definitely do that. I wonder if you can get anything. It is an expiring contract for Otto Porter Jr. And we talk about injury prone. This guy is, is 10 steps past injury prone. I mean, this guy just does not play during his NBA career, and he's made so much money. So it, it will be interesting with the trading deadline coming up. Um, as far as the standings, and we talked about the hey, Bulls before, before we go to the standings, i got to say something about Otto Porter. Please. This, this guy is stealing money right now, and, and Bulls fans should be very much offended. The comments from Billy Donovan before the Pelicans game, um, as, as we know, but I know fans always know, Coaches talk like three times on game days. They talk and shoot around. They talk before the game. They talk after the game. So sometimes you get some really honest comments along the way because they get tired of answering the same question. Well, he was asked for an update on Otto Porter Jr. status, and he talked about the fact that he's really in a lot of pain and his back really hurts when he's trying to shoot. So he's probably a long way off from resuming basketball activities. This guy is stealing money. He's making $28 million in the last year of his contract. And a lot of people were hoping that because he's only 27 years old and the assumption was that he's going to want to continue his NBA career, he would be highly motivated to be available this year to play some good basketball, to show he still has value so he can get another contract from some uh, unsuspecting team going forward in the summer. Well, this guy decided instead he showed up to camp again, looking a little bit heavy, a little bit out of shape. He, you know, he played okay when he was out there, but never played extended minutes. And now, you know, with this uh, phantom back injury, he's going to find a way to sit out most of the season, collect his $28 million, and then expect some other team to give him a big contract this summer. That is the very worst of what we see in the NBA, where guys are get, making that kind of money and refuse to try to get out there and help their teammates. Otto Porter, no team is going to trade for him because – they don't need the cap space, as I mentioned. The elite free agents are off the market. They don't need cap room this summer. Otto Porter Jr., much like Cristiano Felicio, will finish out his contract in Chicago. And while Felicio's contract, a, year, a career is probably over, 
Otto Porter may find some team to sign him to a small money deal next year, but buyer beware with that guy. Yeah, you say he's hurting, or he says he's hurting. You know when he's not hurting, Mark? On the 15th and the 30th of each month right. when he collects that ridiculous paycheck that he's getting. I mean, you know, I, I was warned about him by a counterpart of mine in Washington, and he didn't warn me enough. I mean, he said he's only going to play half the time. He doesn't even play half the time. I mean, it's ridiculous. And and unfortunately, compounding the situation at the small forward position, you would think that Chandler Hutchinson would get a, take advantage of the situation because that's his position, and he'd get out there, and I don't know what the hell is going on with him, but all of a sudden he's not playing because of personal reasons. I mean, what personal reasons are there? You have a chance to get on the damn court and, and earn some big money potentially yourself, and now you can't even get on the court because of quote-unquote personal reasons. Hard to figure. Yeah, yeah, we saw Chandler Hutchison on the bench area in the game against the Pelicans. He was wearing a White Sox jersey. Um, you know, the only thing I can think of, and it's it's difficult to speculate when we talk about personal issues, but maybe, you know, he's having one of these post-COVID situations that has affected a number of people in the world and athletes. Remember the Yohan Moncada thing where he said he just couldn't get back to his normal energy level that – you know, he got fatigued running the bases and he just didn't feel like himself. And he really went on to have a very subpar rest of the season for the White Sox. Maybe that's what's going on with Chandler, that he can't get his conditioning back. He's not feeling 100% because he said he had pretty severe system uh, symptoms from the COVID experience. So, you know, again, we have no idea what's going on, but that would, that would be my uh, educated speculation that maybe he just doesn't feel right after the whole COVID bout. Well, it just makes a bad situation that much worse, yeah. unfortunately, that he's not even playing. All right, let's go to the standings, because in spite of them having this 10-14 and 14 record, right now they are the number 10 team, so they would be in the play-in game. And it's really interesting. We'll talk about the Derrick Rose and the Knicks here in just a second. It could very well come down to a one-game thing against Tom Thibodeau and Derrick Rose and Taj Gibson yeah. to get into the quote-unquote regular playoffs. But not only are they 10-14 and 14 in 10th place right now, Mark, but the Eastern Conference just stinks. Other than the top two teams, they're only two and a half games out of fourth place. It's weird. Well, and we've seen a couple of teams that were expected to be very good in Toronto and Miami really struggle this season. And Miami's now getting back to full strength. Jimmy Butler is back. He missed a, you know, a handful of games with the health and safety protocols. Bam Adebayo was out as well. They're two all-stars. So I think Miami will start moving up the standings. They'll get in that top eight. Toronto will get in that top eight. And I think you'll see the standings start to normalize as we get past the all-star break and into the second half of the season. So I think basically you're going to have Atlanta in the top eight. So I think there's, there's your playoff field. Then it gets, then it comes down to the Knicks, Charlotte, the Bulls, maybe Orlando as teams that uh, will fight for those play-in spots. And unless the Bulls can get healthy, I don't think they're going to make it. You know, as you mentioned, they're 10th right now. But with their lack of size inside and their inability to protect the paint, I think they're going to get taken to the woodshed by a lot of teams in this next couple of weeks. And then they're going to be in a big hole but trying to get back into that playoff position. It's probably going to take between 33 and 35 wins to get in one of those uh, last two spots, the 9 and 10 spots. And right now the Bulls are 10 and 14. If you project that, as I mentioned, they're at the exact one-third point. That's 30 wins if you extrapolate it out. That won't be enough. And, and I think – 30 might be as good as we can expect unless they make some kind of a bold roster move that we can't see right now. All right. We, we, we touched upon uh, Derek Rose. Uh, he goes from Detroit to the Knicks. 
Um, he's reunited with Tom Thibodeau for the third time. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I'm not really sure, but you know, Tom Thibodeau likes him. And listen, he's got a lot of friends in New York and it's not so terrible playing in New York, to be honest with you. But what, what did you make of the whole situation of uh, Derek Rose going to a Knicks team that honestly, I don't think they really needed him, but Tom Thibodeau wanted him. Yeah. And they gave up next to nothing. They gave up Dennis Smith Jr. Who they had totally soured on. He was going to go play with their G league affiliate and a second round draft pick. So they got Derek for next to nothing. Derek's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Obviously, he talked about the fact that he feels a synergy with Tom Thibodeau. Tom Thibodeau saved Derek's career. Remember, he got traded to Utah at the deadline a couple of years ago. Utah just waved him, and he was shooting baskets by himself in the gym at Cleveland State, just trying to figure out what was come, what was going to ha- happen next for him. And Tom Thibodeau took him off the scrap heap, gave him a meaningful role in Minnesota. To Derek's credit, he took full advantage of it, played some really good basketball. Even after Tibbs was fired, uh, he, he played good basketball for uh, for Ryan Sanders over there. So, you know, credit to Derek for rehabilitating his career, for understanding that he's better playing short minutes off the bench. He's reinvented himself as a productive sixth man. He's played some really good basketball. He's having another good year in Detroit. And even though the Knicks are overloaded with point guards, Tibbs will find a way to get him on the court for 20 to 25 minutes, get productive use out of him, and – and I think at the end of the year, Derek can make a decision on whether he wants to chase a ring somewhere. You know, I would love to see him come back to Chicago for whatever he decides. He's got one more year left in him. I don't know what the current front office or, or the Reinsdorfs feel about that, but it'd be a great ending to, to his career. I'd like to see him get a ring somewhere and, and then play one year in Chicago. I think that'd be, that would be fantastic if that's the way it ends up for Derek. Yeah, you and I have both always been big fans of Derek Rose. I mean, I had a little bit of an issue that, you know, he didn't come back right away from some of his injuries but then when I you know took a hard look at why he didn't come back and listen to some of the reasoning and and take a look at you know some of the things that were going on in the organization at the time I came to understand why he didn't after a while so I I wish nothing but good things for Derrick Rose going forward and I would love to see him somewhere down the road retire as a Chicago Bull Um, all right time now Mark for our walk down memory lane segment uh, I have an interesting one, but I'm going to let you lead off today. Yeah, this is one that uh, I was thinking about using the last couple of weeks, and then we talked about something else, and I got off of it. But, um, you know, when I first came to Chicago, I was the young guy. I wish, wish I still was that young guy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I was the young guy in a four-person sports staff. So basically my role during all these championship runs was to be the guy in the studio. You know, they would send two guys on the road. And I would be there anchoring all the sports casts and just basically throwing out to the guys at the game sites. Well, the last uh, last chapter of the first three, Pete, when they beat the Phoenix Suns, um, I got a chance to go to Phoenix for game six. And I would have been there for game seven had there been one. And, you know, so I was assigned to basically do whatever Tim Weigel didn't want to do. You know, so he was going to do all the glamour assignments and I would pick up whatever was left to do. And. As you recall, in game six, the Bulls were, were doing well for a while. And then towards the end, Phoenix got a hold of the game, and it looked like they were going to win it and, and force a game seven. So Tim says to me, why, why don't you go out in, in, the, in either the lobby or outside and interview some Phoenix fans about game seven coming up in a couple of days? And I'm like, oh, great. The old man on the street thing, one of the worst assignments you can get as a reporter. So mentally, I'm like, oh, they're going to lose this game. You know, Phoenix has got all the momentum, and I got to talk to these idiot Suns fans about what they're going to do in Game Seven. Well, 
uh, as, as fate would have it, the Bulls had the rally late. You know, you had, you had the great shot by Paxson that, that won the championship. Horace Grant blocked the shot from Kevin Johnson, and, and the Bulls had their third championship, and there wasn't going to be a Game 7. So I scrambled back into the arena, and, of course, uh, by that point, the, the, the champagne was already flowing, and Tim was doing all the interviews with the guys in the locker room. And one of the, the you know, he just basically said, you know, just see if there's something that looks interesting to you that, you know, maybe that isn't uh, a headline item of this story. And I happened to bump into James Jordan outside the locker room, Michael's father. And we talked, you know, for five or 10 minutes, some really heartfelt stuff about, you know, how happy he was for Michael and, and what the, how great it was to accomplish three consecutive championships. Little did any of us know that, that James and Michael had talked about him retiring and pursuing a baseball career. And then tragically, James was murdered not more than a month or six weeks later. Um, you know, just when I look back on that, you know, the fact that, you know, I had this conversation with James Jordan and all the events that unfolded uh, just weeks afterwards. It's something that, uh, you know, struck me very deeply at the time. and something I'll always remember. Well, two things um, in hearing your story. Number one, you still look like the young guy, you know, who just was, <laughs> you're too whatever. kind. Yeah. Just like, uh, I think the character's name was Joe Hardy in the movie or play damn Yankees <laughs> where he sold his soul to the devil. You must've done that because you still look perpetually young. And the second thing, you know, those fans in the stands or fans in the street stories, I did more than my share of yeah. those. That useless. is the- Yeah. Totally yeah. useless. Who cares? You know? It's the low of the low, to be honest with you. There were some times when I would have to do a fan in the street. I would find a friend of mine and just say, do yeah. me a favor, just say something, because I don't want to go talk to the fans in the street. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my story was, and this is an off-the-court story, um, I don't know why Jerry Krause took a shine to me, but he did. You know, he didn't t- really like that many people, especially in the media. But for whatever reason, he liked me. And we would go out and have lunch every now and then. And I would pick his brain. And, you know, I would use that to my advantage because, listen, he was he was the Bulls' brain trust, even though there was a lot of, as you well know, Mark, uh, problems between him and, and a lot of the players. But anyway, I went out to lunch with him one time and, and – uh, you know, this the, this is when they're at the Birdo Center. We went across the street to, I think the place was Chili's back in the day. It was by the Multiplex. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he goes, do you mind if Bill Cartwright, who was coaching at the time, comes with? And I said, well, gosh, I'm not going to say no to Bill Cartwright coming along. So <laughs> sure. So I'm having lunch with Bill Cartwright and Jerry Krause. And we're sitting at one of the upper tables at Chili's. And it's, you know, lunchtime, 1230, 1 o'clock, whatever time it was. And because the multiplex is right there, a lot of the suburban women, good looking women, by the way, would come in after their workouts and come in there. And, you know, listen, there's three guys at a table to talk always like, hey, look at that look, you know, hot looking woman or something like that. Sure. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll watch my language when I say this, but you can imagine it was a little bit more than what I'm what I'm saying right now. But all of a sudden, Jerry Krause and Bill Cartwright, specifically Krause, is talking about, look at that one, look at that one, look at that one. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. And I mean, normally I'm with my friends. It's sort of, you know, commonplace to do that. But here's Jerry Krause. And we're sort of like (laughs) taking the women that are coming in to Chili's from the multiplex. 
And I felt sort of dirty, to be honest with you, after that experience. <laughs> anyway, that was one of many times that I actually went out with Jerry Krause, you know, for lunch. And like I said, I don't know why he took a shine to me. And every time I talked to Jerry Reinsurf, Reinsurf would go, you know what? I don't know why he likes you, but he does like you or something like that. <laughs> so I always found pretty comical. All right. One last thing I want to throw out there, Mark, because, you know, obviously you wear your uh, – Milwaukee badge of honor upon you, and well, rightfully so. And so I'm thinking Milwaukee is obviously noted for beer, and Chicago's, you know, not too far behind. And I was growing up, there was so many bad beers in Chicago. Um, you know, there was there was Schlitz and Pabst Blue Ribbon and Hams and Blatz and yuck, some of the worst beers of all time. Curious, because you grew up in Milwaukee, what were the good beers that you drank and what were the not-so-good beers that you drank? You know, it's funny. Three of the four beers you just mentioned were brewed in Milwaukee. Right. And, and some still are. So you kind of took a shot at uh, my hometown there, but I'll let that Sorry slide. About that. <laughs> you know, I've told a story before on the podcast where, you know, I used to go on a lot of brewery tours when I was in college and just time it out where you could, you know, hit them at the right time and you could get a pretty good buzz on by the time you were done. But, um, you know, each of the local breweries had a premium beer that they would brew, like uh, Pabst uh, had something called uh, Ondecker, which was their premium brew. Uh, Schlitz had Schlitz malt liquor, which was a high alcohol content, which is uh, which is popular in the neighborhood. Um, you know, so uh, you know there were some there were some good beers there, but I, I would think that you know when you're looking for outstanding beer, you're you're looking at generally the imported beers from Europe where the, this all started. Um, a lot of the locally based brewers, you know, they had their premium line. And, and they were they were decent beers, but I think you know if you're if you're looking for great beer, you're you're looking to Germany, you know Austria, those those Bavarian really rich beers that that people would like that that uh, you don't need to drink a whole lot of them to to get the desired effect and the desired flavor. You know they they had Old Milwaukee, which is a beer. Obviously, it must have been terrible. Brilliant. One of Terrible. the worst beers ever, yeah. I was going to say that because I had it a couple times, and, and I'm not the all-time connoisseur of beers, but they also had, for a very brief time, probably a takeoff, they had Old Chicago also. Yeah. And that, that was horrendous. <laughs> but the one, the one beer, you know, because we used to sneak across the border even before we were 16 to drink, to be honest with you, and I won't say where, but uh, Liney Kugels, I think, were uh, in southern Wisconsin. And I used to love Liney Kugels, and then they had Liney Kugels, with uh, with lemon in them or something like that, and those are really good. But there was a lot of bad beers, you know, back in the day. They had the, something called Buck and something called Pearl. Those were really garbage beers in Chicago, at least. I don't know if they were further up north. Well, a lot of these beers were designed just to be as cheap as possible and affordable. Right. They had a knockoff beer of Old Milwaukee called uh, Milwaukee's Best, which was actually Milwaukee's worst. <laughs> it tasted like like glorified water, and you know, old style brewed in in Lacrosse, Wisconsin, which became very popular at Cubs games. They still serve it, don't they? At Cubs games, I think they do. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, that's kind of a watered down brew. It's nothing special. You know, I never was a huge old style fan. Uh, but you mentioned Line and Kugel. They've really had a rebirth over the last fifteen or twenty years. You know, they have all these specialty beers where you can get ones that you know have citrus in them or or lemon flavor and. And they're very popular with the young people now. Line of Kugels has, has really taken off. It's become a very, very popular beer, not only in Wisconsin, but in, in a number of states throughout the Midwest. 
Well, sometime upcoming, you and I will have to sit down with a couple of liney kugels between the two of us and enjoy that. Um, and, and I've enjoyed doing this again, Mark. And the Bulls have another big week. They do have, as you said, I think they have the Clippers at home this weekend when people probably are starting to listen to this podcast. And then they're on the road all of next week. And that'll be really interesting with their depleted front line on the road. I don't anticipate too many, if any, victories. Well, Lowry did say, we, we heard from Lowry earlier in the podcast, and he did say that he was hoping he could be closer to the short end of the projected timetable, you know, two weeks. He was injured last Saturday, so, you know, you, hopefully you can get him back soon. And as we said, the injury didn't look that traumatic at the time. Hopefully it was just a case of, uh, you know, uh, where it just hit a particular nerve where he was in so much pain, and he can get back sooner rather than later. I, I think that Wendell Carter Jr. has been doing some on-court work. Uh, Billy Donovan mentioned before the Pelicans game that he's doing some shooting. He's doing some running on the court. So maybe we can get both of these guys back in a week or two, not only to help the Bulls on the court, but maybe uh, make them viable options if there's a trade that presents itself before March 25th. All right. Well, we'll talk again next week, and we'll see where the Bulls are. And as always, Mark, it's been a pleasure. Sounds good, David. You made me thirsty. I think I'm going to head to the refrigerator and grab a brew. I'm one step behind you. All right, (laughs) folks, we'll talk to you all real soon. Thanks a lot.